Hey y'all, it's Barb. It's Shay. We're here to talk about a murder that's gonna knock you off your feet. So giddy up y'all, this is gonna be a wild one. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode with your hosts Barb and Shay. How's it going Shay? Going good, I'm just happy to be alive. How are you? Um, pretty good, been crazy with all this moving nonsense, but other than that, blessed. Um, I hope everyone is doing great this week, and as always, happy to share these cases with you guys. want to remind you, merch is out for sale, as well as the voters episode poll. I think it's pretty much over with, so if you haven't got a vote in, please do that. It's on on our Facebook page, so please go fill it out. We are always looking forward to hearing your feedback. Um, Before I get started, I kind of want to let you know where I got my information from. This was from latimes.com and goesangelo.com, something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Go San San Angelo. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so with that being said, let's go ahead and get started with today's case. We are taking it back to the 1960s when Manuel Ariano and his family pulled over to the side of the road whenever they noticed a flat tire. At the time, they were driving a pretty old Buick. They were driving on a pretty vacant road with hardly anything on it in West Texas. This road was about 40 miles from the Mexico border. After fixing that tire, not shortly after, actually another tire appeared to be flat after Mm. driving up only five more miles down the road. I don't know about you, but if I was the driver, you're either having really bad luck or you just know something's not mm-hmm. right. Literally. So whenever he had experienced the first flat, an highway worker reported actually speaking to Manuel at about 6 p.m. that evening. And they approached him after seeing that he was having car issues and noted that he was currently changing his tire. Dur- during their road trip, I am guessing they were only carrying one extra tri- like one extra tire. Um, so someone passing offered them a ride to go about 30-ish miles up the road to fix it. Because, you know, like whenever you have a flat, you only in your head think that that's going to happen once. So you have one spare tire. Yeah, they only put one spare in your car. So. Yeah, exactly. So after... Experienced the second one, another guy just pulls on the side of the road and he's like, hey, man, do you need a ride? You know, like, is there something that I can do? Like, what's going on? And so Manuel actually said, hey, actually, can you take me up and help me fix this tire? So like I said, about 30-ish miles up the road, they went to go fix it. And then they re- would return to the car to help put the repaired tire back on his vehicle in order for the family to keep traveling. A routine bus driver who made pretty much several stops within the week, going back and forth, back and forth down the highway, said he actually spotted a white pickup truck on the side of the road next to the family's Buick. And this time, it was about 7 p.m., so that kind of coincides with the five-mile radius of experience the tire, 
them going up, coming back. Now they're working on the tire. The bus drives past this weird guy helping the family. Well, however, before the end of daybreak, a like horrible thing would happen to the family. I would like to go over their ages and the names of the victims. Manuel was only 25 years old at the time. That's so young. Isn't that? I thought so too. Um, His wife was 25 as well, and her name was Monica. They had three adorable children together. Their oldest son was Manuel Jr. He was only the age of five. They had a baby girl named Leticia, who was about two and a half years old at the time. And their third son, or not son, but their third kid was Eduardo, who was about 15 months old. They're all babies. They were. Um, but not only that, but riding along with them was Manuel's sister, I believe, whose name was Rosa, and she was about 19 years old. Along U.S. Highway 277, within about a mile-long stretch, was a killing field. And it would soon unfold to police. This field we are talking about has over 900 mass killings documented. Even though many of them are solved, many of them are still unsolved. Manuel at the time was a migrant farm worker who was working out of Iowa, but they had several family members in Texas. And they were making a trip to come see everybody. And his vehicle actually had a Texas license plate. So I guess maybe they actually are from Texas, moved to Iowa so he could do the farm work and then we're just kind of coming back and forth. He spoke fluent English and they were really just trying to take care of their family. They were respectable people and well-liked people. So let's kind of talk about finding the bodies. I believe by early next morning, someone who was working on a nearby ranch along that highway discovered Manuel's body. His body was found near a body of water and in a, wrapped around in a barbed wire fence just off of that highway 277. About a mile south, Monica's body was found lying in a ditch. Not too far from her, about just a couple of feet away was Rosa's body, his little sister, thrown away in a nearby bush. She was found naked and sexually assaulted. Their children were found closer to their father within some rocks and shrubs. It was told that this part of land was normally occupied by different animals, such as like snakes, armadillos, and goats. The murder weapon had been a .22 caliber pistol, but it was never actually found. The police still have not found the murder weapon. Whenever they discovered the children's bodies, it was really crazy because Leticia, who was actually shot between the eyes twice, mind you, was still alive. Oh. As well as Manuel Jr., the five-year-old boy. And he was shot in the head and stabbed. However, it's really sad to say, but that baby girl ended up passing away a few days later. But the five-year-old boy 
actually pulled through and he survived. Holy moly, that's insane. Can you imagine like being a five-year-old little boy? Because that's when you start having your memory. Exactly. And so he's going to start remembering everything that happened to him that day and like seeing his whole entire family being murdered. Well, that's the thing is going through trauma like that at such a young age, you either rememorize all of it or you just block it out and yeah. you don't remember anything. Yeah. And it, it sucks to say, but for police, they're hoping you remember everything. Exactly. And then they're just going to sit there and question him, you know, and he's just trying to get, yeah, trying to still, stay alive. Yeah, he's still traumatized from everything. So the little boy had to undergo, as you could see and would think, multiple brain surgeries to keep him alive. About a few weeks later, the boy was able to tell authorities that a white, quote, big cowboy, unquote, had been originally helping them with the tire and ended up actually hurting and killing his family. I believe the police contacted the service station that the family went to, so that tire repair shop they actually contacted. And from there, they were able to draw up a sketch of the possible suspect. The sketch was a white man in his 30s who had sandy blonde hair, who had been wearing a straw cowboy hat and was driving a pickup truck. He was about six foot tall, roughly 200 pounds. He had pockmarks or a rash on his neck, and he was wearing boots and a tucked in shirt. He had a large hunting knife strapped to his belt, and his truck was about like a 1967 Chevrolet. So that actually coincides with what five-year-old Manuel was telling the police. Yeah, and, you know, we always say never go in cars with strangers, no matter how innocent and how nice they look. Do not just stay away from people. Yeah, honestly. (laughs) Be antisocial. Thank God now for, like, Uber and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Strangers, strangers. So this man, he had indeed driven the family up 30 miles to repair that flat. But on the way back, something actually bad happened. The vehicle was found about eight or so miles away from the bodies. And it still had a flat. They actually never even got the chance to fix that flat tire. Even though... The serviceman working at the station saw the suspect. No one was actually identified. So here we go again. Just about the case that you talked with this week. How somebody saw the man in the apartment with the girl. Here we are again. No one's still identified. Yeah, because I feel like they're like, oh, well, there's a whole family coming in. So we don't really need to pay attention to everybody. Yeah, that's true. This one's almost a little bit different because it doesn't seem too odd that Somebody's helping somebody else, you know, especially if it's a small area. Very true. But still, it's just like, kind of got to, let's pay attention to our surroundings. Yes. Well, the police brought in several people for him, the station worker, to identify. But the man just couldn't recognize any of them as being the potential killer. So, with that being said, no no charges were actually filed. By the year of 1982, the murders of the family had officially run cold. For roughly 17 years, the case would remain cold. No new leads, no new possible suspects, 
nothing. But in the year of 1999, a call was made to the Texas Department of Public Safety. Someone was coming forward stating that they knew the identity of the family murders. They originally dismissed the call. Why would you do that? Why does it, like, I don't understand. Are you, is it such a hassle for you to even just check to see if it was a real call? Why are you just going to dismiss a call about something I have no so idea. huge, a whole entire family? It wasn't just like one person or whatever. It was literally infants. Well, maybe because they thought, why would you wait all this time to come forth and like speak on the murders? But sometimes people are afraid and it takes a while for everything to cool mm-hmm. off and them to finally get that courage to, okay, I'm ready. I'm not yeah. afraid. Or they they could know they maybe they didn't know about the murders and then they finally heard about it and they were like, oh my gosh, like I've seen this. I know what happened. And it finally clicked in their head. Like it finally came to realization like, oh, I know what this is. You know, because not everybody listens to the news and knows about everything that goes on around there and stuff. Yep, that's that's very true. Um, But with that being said, over the course of times of like a fire began to brew within the investigators hearts and they actually decided to begin a search. One the first things the investigators did was actually track down that man who was working on the nearby ranch and found the victim's bodies. However, nothing new was added and they knew they had to go look somewhere else. So they thought it was a good idea to look into the only survivor, the five-year-old Manuel Jr. This led them all the way to Mexico where He actually had moved as a young child after recovering from surgery to move in with his grandmother so that she could take care of him. At the time of reaching back out to him, Manuel would have been 42 years old. Holy crap. He had to get old that fast. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Like, that's how long it's been, honestly. Freaking crazy. Five years old. So, at first... You could expect that he was super skeptical and not really sure about what the authorities wanted, why they are reaching out to him, and why it took this long. Mm -hmm. So many, many, many years. But ultimately, he didn't give them anything new to add. His memory was pretty much gone. And I can assume he tried to push the thoughts and memories away because it was just really devastating. I mean, that whole experience like experience you just kind of want to forget it you know I mean, losing your family yeah not just losing your family but like going through the pain what he went through getting shot and then he get shot and stabbed yes yeah so like even if you think about it like just someone getting shot and stabbed not their whole family murder is devastating enough oh of course but then you lost everybody you know yeah. so and your whole life was just uplifted and taken away yeah and exactly. you had to move out You have lost all your friends and other family members, too. So, yeah, you just kind of had to, like, start all over. So when the police got there, they told Manuel that even after all of these years, the killer's DNA was still in the lab and they had collected it from that victim's clothing. But they just need him to actually match it correctly. They have no one to match it with. But at the time of the murders, which was in the 1960s, 70s, DNA testing isn't like how it is now. It was much different. 
Um, nothing was advanced to how it is now. So the police submitted the clothing for further testing. They believe the motive to kill now was theft, which went wrong and led to them murdering all of the family members. Members, And I say they because the lead investigator thinks more than one person had a hand in all of these murders. I can expect that whoever did this, whether it was one man or multiple men or even a man and a woman, had had previous experience with this. I think it takes someone who knows what they're doing to kill a family of six and walk away like nothing ever happened. Yeah, I I could see it definitely being more than one person because of the fact of how many people there were. But then you also think three of them were children, so you don't have to really, like, it's not really that much of a struggle for three children, but you still had three adults to deal with, and maybe that's why they separated them. Yeah, exactly. And not only that, but if they didn't have a weapon and they had a gun, that could have been an easy way Mm -hmm. to separate and make them more vulnerable to the killings. Yeah. So, like I said, um, like like they walked away like nothing ever happened, and especially with the children. Like, and if they had done this before, you could quite frankly assume that they would do it again and again after this family, because that takes a certain person to just kill three children, much less three innocent adults. Exactly. The police still have yet to close the case on the murders of these five victims. They have no new leads, even after all that, even with the sketch and so many witness reports being the bus driver, the people at the shop fixing the tire, whoever was working at the ranch at the time. You know, they actually saw the pickup truck. They saw the pickup truck, but nothing, nothing has came up. And yes, they did submit further testing with DNA, but I haven't seen anything come out in regards to what they actually found or if that even ended up being a good thing. So with that being said, I absolutely absolutely do think it was this man that picked them up because if it wasn't, why wouldn't he have come forward to help the investigation move forward? He could have given them a rundown on events, time stamps of what he would what he did, what he helped, where they went, what time it was, whatever which would have led the police to new clues, but instead this mysterious man just vanished out of thin air. Yeah, I yeah, I, I kind of want to finish hearing what you have to say because I have like a few like ideas of maybe what could have happened because I don't think robbery is necessarily what happened because if it was robbery, why would he take them all the way to the tire place and then almost all the way back to the car? That's almost a waste of time. If it's 30 miles there, 30 miles back, why would you waste all that time? Yes, I totally agree with that. I personally think this was <coughs> this was a sorry, I'm still getting my voice back, guys. I really think that this was a random attack. Um, no one could have possibly known that the family would be driving down that road at that specific time. Also, if the intention was to kill, I think they would have never actually made it to that resting stop because he, the killer, being a killer, would have known that it would have been easy to identify him. So I don't think that it was planned. You know, I just don't think that really adds up. Something went completely wrong 
on that way back and the driver had completely snapped. Or he did indeed take them there and dropped them off with a new and repaired tire and left. And then someone else came along and did these horrible things to them. And maybe that, quote, helper guy that was taking him to and from to get the tire fixed just didn't come forward because maybe he was scared that they would try and pin it on him and it wasn't him. That and also if it was, was I don't think that would go along because if he, he said he was a white male. Mm-hmm. Because they're, cause weren't they near Mexico? Yes. Because what if he maybe was an immigrant and he couldn't come forward at some point because he would think that he was going to get deported back. So oh, if he came forward, killer. yeah, if the killer or possible killer, if he ended up coming forward, then it could have meant that, oh, well, I'm going to get deported. Or what if he actually was the killer and he just went and crossed the border back into Mexico and just completely vanished from the U.S.? Mm-hmm. That There's so many possibilities with this one. And I feel like it could definitely be solved, especially since they have DNA. And if this person killed a whole entire family, there's no reason why he wouldn't kill somebody again. you know. And I also don't think that it was planned. I think it was... It was a situation gone wrong. Something happened between if it was the same guy that took them to the tire place. And that's if we know you never know who it could have been. Somebody could have stopped that whole that whole family. And maybe they even killed that other guy and just did something else with him. Yeah. You know, so you never know what happened in that situation. And well, it's just. I want to point out, too, that 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 highway 277 has been like over 500 bodies have been found along that highway. And that being so close to the border could be a very possible huge dumping ground for Mm -hmm. cartel, for people out there who are serial killers, like huge dumping ground. So Mm -hmm. you really don't know what kind of particular realm that we could even be talking about. We could be talking about something completely different, but you do have the possible gangs along the border, the serial killers knowing that that could be a dumping ground. Like, just don't know really and I think that this case is mind-boggling because the endless literally the endless possible open up a whole new can of worms exactly exactly and it guys if you know anything about this case let us know because this one really interests me to to find out more yeah this is a really interesting one and I'm I'm glad at least one person like lived through it it's really sad that a whole family had to go but yeah this is a really good one great job Thank you. Like I said, there are so many different, you know, routes your mind can really take you to. And we hope you listeners are aware of your surroundings, especially (coughs) whenever you're on road trips, even if you are alone or not alone. If you're in a big group, be aware, be alert. Okay. Anything can happen wherever you are. It doesn't matter who you're with. If you know of anything with this unsolved case, please contact that's like the Texas Department of Public Safety, or feel free to reach out to us. With that being said, we love you, but we are signing off now. And as always, remember to stay out of dark places and watch your back because you never know who's lurking. Bye. Bye.